welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. We're talking about freedom. We're doing a series on freedom. And uh, I want to encourage you to get last week's podcast. I wasn't here, but I heard it. Fantastic message. Byron was talking about mindsets and bondages and dark thoughts that we can be set free from. And today I want to talk about issues of the heart. Just a couple of foundational scriptures that we've been referring to for this series. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 8, if the sun sets you free, you will be free Indeed. Isn't that awesome? So this talking about himself, of course. Um, and, uh, and so when Jesus comes, there is freedom of every kind needed and imagined. Uh, and then in Luke 4.18, we see this passage where Jesus quotes from the book of Isaiah, a prophecy written hundreds of years before, but now being fulfilled by the life and ministry of Jesus. And he said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, notice that's from the New King James Version. Your version may miss a little line there because this is one of the few versions that quote Isaiah 61 in its fullness because there's a line there that Jesus referred to and the phrase is in there I think it's verse 18 he said he sent me why to heal the brokenhearted that's what I want you to think about this morning this is very much part of the will of God and the ministry of Jesus to heal broken hearts because his power his healing power can come not just into our spirit to see us regenerated. Byron talked last week about being a three-part being, just like the Trinity, uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We are body, soul, and spirit. So our spirit is made new and given freedom from death. When we're born again, we give our life to Christ. Our body has the opportunity to be prayed for and receive healing and to be strengthened and to last a good long life until this tent finally falls apart. But the soul, our heart, is also given the opportunity to have freedom or to be healed or to be uh, touched and helped. And so we can find freedom from stuff that goes on in our heart, guilt and fear and anxiety and worry and anger and stress and bitterness and all this stuff, even depression that can weigh heavily uh, on people. We have an opportunity to find freedom from it. And because... This is part of the mission or the ministry or the assignment that Jesus came with. Because he says, that's right there. He said, this is what I'm here for. The Spirit of God's come. He's anointed me. He read this out right at the beginning of his ministry. He'd been here 30 years and the next three years he went for it, taught, healed, delivered people and then died rose again, bam, went to heaven. And then we have records of his life, his ministry and his teachings to reflect upon and to find an opportunity to meet him personally with. And he's saying, this is part of the deal. I've come to help people who are brokenhearted. 
and to heal them. Because the fact is, many are brokenhearted. And I want to look at that today, how our hearts can be hurt and broken and wounded and how Jesus does the healing and brings us to freedom. Because the fact is, look, physically, we've all had pain. You know, you bump something, you do, you come to a working bee at church. I often, Ruth often says at home, she'll say, what are you, you're bleeding on your leg. I'm like, oh yeah. And I, I tend to go hard at it, whether it, I don't know, anything, but gardening, even gardening, I get hurt. And I don't notice till afterwards. And it's like, oh yeah. In fact, the worst I did was um, I'm soaring. Did I tell you this? I think I might tell you. I'm soaring away at this tree and I've got a really itchy back. And no, it was an itchy leg. That's right. It was an itchy leg. I'm soaring. So my leg's itchy. It must be the trees or something. Oh, and I thought, oh, here we go. Oh, and it felt so good. I'm scratching away at this itch. Oh, man, that feels, you know when you scratch and you, oh, that feels great. I finished, right? And then I walk in later, ah, and there's blood pouring down my leg. I really scratched that little itchy bite, you know, with the sore. I know it's stupid, but um, <laughs> anyway, so we've all looked, you, some of us have broken bones, been stupid with sores, and got sores as a result of the sore. Um, Oh yeah, Ruth's got new, the, the kitchen's got really round handles so you can't bump or, you know, hit them because I tend to move a bit too fast. The, the worst of it, I, oh look, the worst of it, years ago, Hudson had left his skateboard, I'm sure I've told you this, he did leave his skateboard out the back door and I tend to move fast and I just walked out the back door and BAM! And I stood on this skateboard and it flipped right up and smacked me in the mouth. Uh! Oh, I got this fat lip and I'm bleeding. But the worst of it was that was on a Friday. The next day we flew to Brisbane to preach in a church for the weekend. And I had this fat lip. And it wasn't really good to put in the morning church. So, so they said, all right, well, Ruth's preaching Sunday morning. We'll see how you go for Sunday night. By the time Sunday night had come, it was okay. The swelling had gone down. However, the, the, the sore had left, had dark... Mark, and it looked the best that I could ever make of an Adolf Hitler moustache from a distance, right there. It just, you know, but, but anyway, we, we carried on. So why are we talking about me? Enough about me. Let's talk about you. You're all sinners, but it's okay. Jesus loves you. You're in the house of God. Oh, you've all, you've all done your silly things. So some of us have broken bones, been injured at sport, had physical pain, all that. But listen, the same way our soul can be hurt, our hearts can be broken, we can get wounded on the inside just as much as on the outside. And, and of course that can happen because someone deliberately tried to hurt you. Human nature is pretty shocking and scary. They're quite happy they, to go out of their way to cause you pain. Or sometimes it just happens inadvertently. Like a sign outside a church that said, we love hurting people. <laughs> I think they meant to use hurting as an adjective, not a verb. I'd like to think that they were actually wanting to reach their community with the love of God and they want to help people. In other, you know, they should have said, uh, we love people who are hurting. <laughs> but we love hurting people. People probably drive them up and say, yeah, the church, you're right, they do love it. Yeah. But the fact is, 
I mean, it just shows syntax. If you get it wrong, come on, the English teachers, you've got lots of examples of that, I'm sure. When you get something wrong, it's not saying what you want it to. But, you know, there's so many ways a heart can be hurt and broken. You can have, uh, you know, a boyfriend breaking up with a girlfriend. These days it's probably more hurtful because they do it by text or social media. Um, in fact, even when they're little these days, they're getting carried away. Bethany, I was glad to hear, had to stamp down in her classroom in primary school at kids who were talking about dating. And she got them together and said, all right, all right, bring it in. Okay, who's got a car? You know, where were you taking them on a date? Who's got the $50 for the date? Forget it. Stop it, you know. But they're all sort of getting carried away as if, oh, yeah, we're dating. You know? But within a few years, and I, I mean, you can laugh when they're in primary school, but, you know, you get to high school or young adulthood and there can be some strong heart-soul ties that develop. And this is why it's best for sex to wait till marriage because there you've got a commitment that hopefully is going to last forever. But you've got a very intimate connection that can happen at an early stage in life and then they break up and there is a lot of heartache because they've been so intimate. And so you extrapolate that out, you get people who have been dating or going out, living together for years. Marriage breakdown, decades, and then the relationship breaks up and there's pain. And there's so many other areas that can cause pain in our hearts. You can have loved ones pass away. You can have relationships that, uh, you know, maybe a close business partnership that was wonderful and a great friendship and then it's broken. You can be betrayed by people who you thought were friends over many, many years and then it's all, you know, ripped apart. Uh, conflict in families. Some people have been raised badly and so they have terrible memories of a lack of love and care and protection, maybe even abuse and... So hearts can be hurt and crushed and embittered and sickened and numbed and abused and traumatised. There's so many things. But in every situation, Jesus can come. The power of God can come and help. And as Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, once said, there are many sorts of broken hearts and Christ is good at healing them all. Huh. I think, come on, that is so true. Nothing is beyond the reach of God's love, yeah? No heart, no condition, no... Uh, you know, I think this is why Joyce Meyer's ministry is so powerful because if you know her story, she's abused terribly and she talks about getting your life together and following God and living a life of victory and people are tempted when they hear preachers say, you know, preachers say, come on, God loves you, you'll be fine, get up, read your Bible, go. And there's something in us. Sometimes people have been through terrible trauma and there's something inside that says, oh, that's easy for you to say, you know, all oh, the worst you've ever done is hurt your leg with a saw, you idiot, you know. <laughs> but, oh, you're like, you look, your wife's gorgeous, your kid's gorgeous, getting married. Oh, look, she's married. Look at this blonde, gorgeous thing, marrying another blonde, gorgeous thing. Uh, you know, uh, oh, it's all, you know. But they can't say that to Joyce Meyer. You can say it to me, but, and I've got pain that I won't tell you about anyway. But, but Joyce Meyer's got serious stuff that she went through and praise God, she's just preaching around the world and she's full of faith and it's okay and, you know, and, uh, and so that's, you know, so she's an example that nothing is beyond the miracle working power of God. So when things seem impossible and the pain seems too much, God can still move because he can do miracles in our hearts. I mean, he can part the seas and flood the earth and turn water into wine and raise the dead and just as powerfully he can heal a broken heart. 
Look at Psalm 147. Praise the Lord. How good to sing praises to our God. How delightful and how fitting. The Lord is rebuilding Jerusalem, bringing the exiles back to Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. Or your Bible might say he binds up their wounds. He doesn't just look at them and see the wound and go, oh, well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> life, get over it. You'll be... No, he comes in because he's a healer. It's in his nature. Jehovah Rapha is one of the covenant names of God in the Old Testament, meaning I am the Lord who heals. I can't help but heal. I want to heal. And, and he brings that into every part of our life. Like I said, our spirit into our body, but also into our heart. And because he, he loves hearts, he's focused on hearts. He, he's interested in hearts. There's a wonderful story in the Old Testament, you may know, um, that reveals that nature of God. Remember when Samuel had to go and anoint the new king of Israel. And interestingly, Israel had wanted a king and God had said, you don't really need one because you should just look to me. Have faith in me. And they're like, no, no, we want a king. Why? Everyone else has got one. It's not a good enough reason, is it? Keep up with the, just keep up with the Jebusites and the Ammonites and the Vegemites. And the, you know, keep up with the, we just want a king because everyone else has got one. It's not a good enough reason. You know, you just got to really, whether it's, well, anything in your life, just because someone else has got it doesn't mean you should have it or need it or it's going to bless you. So God relents finally. He says, all right, we'll have, get a king then. And who do they choose? Saul. And, he, and he, he, it's described as literally head and shoulders above the rest. He was, he was literally tall, dark and handsome. He looked like he would be the most impressive, imposing, wonderful king. And yet on the inside, he was weak, immature and insecure. And so... You know, that's, that's the issue of the heart right there. So then God sends Samuel, the prophet, the man of God, to find a new king. And he's told, go to the house of Jesse. So Jesse is told, bring all your sons out. He's not told exactly what's going on, but maybe he guessed or something. So it says he got all seven of his sons lined up for the prophet to come and check out. And seven of them, God says to Samuel, forget it, no good. And Samuel's confused. So he says to Jesse, are you sure these are all of your sons? What a strange question. You know, it's like we normally know. And sure enough, Jesse's got a strange answer. He says, well, there is one more, but, shh, you know, you're not going to be interested in him. I've got this kid and he's out the back and he hangs out with sheep and he writes poems and sings songs and, you know, even if I don't know what you're after, he's not it, you know, like... Maybe he's guessing you want a king, you want something, something's going on. Now, he showed his first one, he, God said, I reject him, I'm not interested. And then, so he says, Well, if you've got this other one, I guess give him a go, bring him along. And then David comes in and God speaks to Samuel and said, Bam, he's my man. This is the one I want to represent me. Why? Because of his heart. What does it say? 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. Not David, that was the eldest son that he first said to. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. Isn't that amazing? That's what God is interested in. He doesn't care about your IQ or how big your business is or how many holiday houses you own or, dare I say it, what bike you ride. I mean, I think that's important, but, you know... Uh, uh, um, you know, and uh, I got a friend who knocked my bike for years. Oh, it's an old man's bike, and he's just bought one. 
and he's in this room. Anyway. Um, oh, yeah, his name will be remain anonymous. But uh, So, you know, isn't that interesting? God looks at the heart. That's the focus of God's attention, our hearts. And, that's, and that day he found a heart that he could work with. And in fact, David in the book of Acts is referred to as a man after God's own heart. And also, interestingly, in the book of Acts, James, in about Acts 16 or something, 15, I think, uh, James is, is talking about the, the growth of the church in the early days, and he said, God is restoring the tabernacle of David, which is a really interesting thing for a young Jewish guy to say, because they're all focused and aware of, focused on and aware of the tabernacle of Moses, the law of Moses, the the system of law that they were given, brought down through the centuries. And yet he says, God's restoring the tabernacle of David. Why not Moses? Because David had brought a way of worship to God that was a heart-to-heart kind of deal. And he presented a, a way of living that was based on heart, not just on law, based on relationship, based on on what on what's going on between two different hearts. And... And so that's where we experience the presence of God. That's how we understand and meet with and carry the presence of God. So God moves in our hearts. He values what occurs in our heart. But what about when our hearts are wounded and hurt? What do you do? How do you manage? Well, of course, you can do what many do. You can just put on a brave face and carry on. (laughs) You can be a soldier, you know, and just face the world. And some people do this. They hope the pain will go away because what do they say? Time heals all wounds. But it doesn't. It doesn't because those wounds, those wounds, they can come back. They can be reopened, can't they? You can, you know, the scars are still there. Something or someone can happen, something can happen or someone can say something and can be a, a trigger and that wound is reopened. All the hurt rushes back in. I mean, physically, you wouldn't, you know, ask a man with a broken leg to go for a jog with you. You know, his bones sticking out, and there's blood pouring around. You wouldn't go, ah, oh, you'll be fine. Come on, let's go. You know, like, like the Black Knight. <laughs> it's only a flesh wound. You remember that? It's, you know, the sketch, and he's got arms bitten off. Oh, you can't avoid it. He's sitting there in a stump. He's got no arms, no legs. Come back. It's just a scratch. Come on. You know, and, and some of you will know what I'm talking about, the old Monty Python thing. Um, you know, and that would be ridiculous, you know, and that scene is ridiculous. So you've got physical wounds, we're aware of them, and so we deal with them. And in the same way, it's sometimes not good enough to just say, oh, no, no, I'll be fine. Yeah, carry on. And so what do we do when our hearts have been broken? Well, there's a really good clue in another Old Testament story that I want to look at in Second Kings chapter 6. And um, the background to this one is that Israel is at war um, with the Arameans. We've got the king of Aram. So this is after David, Israel's got kings. They've got Judah and Israel. They've got two kingdoms now. The northern parts are called the king, kingdom of Israel. And this enemy king is trying to attack Israel, but he's frustrated because Israel's got a prophet, not Samuel. He died a long time ago. They've got a guy called Elisha. And Elisha... Hears from God about all the military operations that the king of Aram organises, and then he goes and tells the king of Israel so they can be prepared. So the king organises and mobilises his troops, and he goes into ambush, and they're like, oh, 
They're already here. What's going on? And this happens time and time again. The king of Aram is really frustrated and he's going to start lopping heads off because he's convinced someone's betraying him. And he's all, his minders and his officers say, no, king, please, please. It's not us. No one's betraying you. It's this annoying prophet. He hears from God. He knows everything about what you're going to do. And he tells his king and then they're ready for you. And the king of Aram says, right, this is not good. I've got to get this guy. Send out. So he sends out a force to catch Elisha, right? And then this is what the scene is. In Elisha's camp, in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15, it says, The servant of the man of God got up early the next morning, went outside, and there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. i got a funny feeling he might have said more than, oh, sir. But... Um, Don't be afraid, Elijah told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Okay? It's him and Elisha, right? And the servant's like, oh no, he's he's lost it now. Oh boy, what does he mean? And then Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. Isn't that interesting? Let him see. See what? And then it says, the Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. And that's where you hear that phrase, chariots of fire. So notice that the servant is initially filled with fear for good reason because when you wake up and you get out of your tent, you just don't want to see an army right in front of you looking at you ready to go. They're just finishing off their breakfast and they're coming to get Elisha, the annoying prophet that their bosses said, go and get him. And you're the servant. So he is freaking out, right? Because he sees these overwhelming natural circumstances. But Elisha has a different perspective, a different view on things because he can see what God can see. He sees from God's perspective. And so then he prays for the servant to see the same. God opens the spiritual eyes of the servant. So then he gets another picture. This one is a picture of truth from the spiritual realm of the same situation. So when he gets God's perspective and he sees the strength of God in the supernatural realm, he's not so fussed about the natural side of things. His fear is replaced by faith. His anxiety is swept away because of his confidence in Almighty God with chariots of fire and angels. and But he had to see in the Spirit to catch it. And so, sure enough, uh, Israel is saved. God blinds the eyes of the enemy troops. Elisha leads them to his king, gets to the king of Israel. God poof, opens their eyes. Ah! They're in front of the king. King of Israel says, oh, cool, let's kill him. Elisha says, no, 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 boss, that's uncool. What we should do is give him a really really good feast and then send him back. That, that is really showing, that's a power play right there. We don't have to kill him. We're going to give him a party. And they're like, okay, I'm not that hungry, but okay. And they have their food and then they lead them back to the king and the other king says, whoa, okay, we're just going to leave him alone for a while. And so they get out of the scenario. But notice again, what happens, what I want you to see is what happens in the heart of this servant? Because he's fearful, right? The facts are that they face a powerful enemy and that obviously produces anxiety and fear. But the truth is that God's army is also present but he couldn't quite see it until he looked into the spiritual realm, right? And when he does, 
that lifts his faith, that dispels the fear, that deals with the issues of the heart. So the application for us is that when we can see the truth in God's word, then it can deal with fear and anxiety and stuff in our heart and dispel it and, and, and get it out of our heart. So Mike Connell, who's an expert in this area, we've been blessed by his ministry on this whole area of freedom over the last few years. He says this, the Holy Spirit does not heal memories by erasing the facts. Rather, he opens your eyes to the truth of what was happening in the spirit realm when the trauma occurred. He then overwrites the trauma with truth and with faith. So the Holy Spirit can actually lead you to remember some painful situation from the past, but not for you to suffer and to go over it again and to rehearse the pain, but just so that you can heal the wound correctly and bring the truth of God's promises and word and the Holy Spirit into that situation and really deal with it. Like sometimes doctors, you know, they have to break a bone to reset it or a wound might have to be cut open again to deal with and operate again on the inside. So the facts may be, what does this look like? Facts may be that someone might have suffered when they're young, from a lack of human love. And so they grow up feeling insecure and unsure about themselves and they don't build good relationships. But then the truth comes in of God's love and suddenly they have self-esteem, self-worth and they feel it's okay. What I missed in the natural realm, God has brought in the supernatural realm with his love. Maybe the facts are that someone's betrayed you, hurt you, uh, left you, but God's word comes and says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Oh, and so that brings encouragement and comfort that only God can bring. And that, so your heart's strengthened. Maybe there's a lie from the enemy that says into your heart, oh, you're always going to have a broken heart. You're always going to feel this pain. You're going to just, that's your lot in life. You're just going to suffer quietly and put up with it. But Jesus comes along and says, no, I love you. I'm healing you and I can see a great future. Hold my hand. Let's go. We're going to head off into that great future together. And so that's the power of God's word coming. And of course, this requires us to activate our faith. So we decide to believe God's word, not just circumstances or let our emotions lead continually throughout our life. Um, so it needs our faith. It needs our trust in his word and his promises. I love what Bill Johnson says. Faith doesn't deny a problem's existence, it just denies it a place of influence. See, so problems have happened, yeah, sure, that's real, that pain, that, that occurred, sure, but how much influence am I going to let that have over me now and into the future? Am I going to let that rule my life? Am I going to rehearse the curse, as they say? I'm going to just go over and over and stay embittered or hurt or crushed, or am I going to invite the power of God into my heart to heal? and bless, and build, and look to the future. And so by faith, we receive God's love. We receive his forgiveness for us. By faith, we receive his love and forgiveness for others so that we can release them and not have them winding us up. And so we let it go and send out love. And by faith, we allow the Holy Spirit to heal us on the inside. And, uh, and we spend time with him, and he brings comfort to us, and it can take some time, but the more time we spend with him, the better. And he brings truth from his word. One of, the most exam one of the most dramatic examples, one of the most famous examples, I'll finish with this, of how this occurs in your heart is in the life of Corrie Ten Boom. Some of you remember her story. You know, she was a young Dutch woman. And in World War II, she spent two years helping Jewish people in her native 
Holland, but with Nazi occupation there, and they helped them by hiding them literally in their home. And then they were um, betrayed, and she, along with her family, was sent to a Nazi uh, concentration camp, and she suffered terribly there, and she watched her sister die only two weeks before Corrie uh, Ten Boom was released from the camp. And one guard in particular had singled her sister out for uh, terribly cruel treatment. Then after the war, Corrie Ten Boom took, off, took up where she left off. She was a strong Christian and she uh, started sharing her faith again. She started helping underprivileged people. This time she was helping the Dutch people who were now ostracised because they had been Nazi sympathisers and they had terrible time from their own people and she was gracious and helping people. She started travelling around, sharing a message of God's love and forgiveness. She's speaking in churches and different meetings. One day, she's sharing at a meeting, she finishes, she invites people for prayer to come forward and who comes forward but the very guard that had traumatised, tortured and ended up overseeing the death of her very own sister. And he had become a Christian and he came forward for prayer and wanted her forgiveness and he knew exactly who she was. And so she uh, just felt she can't do it. Talk about a trigger. She uh, had all this pain come rushing back, the persecution, the solitary confinement, the hunger, the loss of her sister. And he's one of the men, one of the chief causes of all the pain. But she preaches forgiveness. So what's she going to do? Well, she wrote about exactly what was going on in her heart. And she said this later, even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And so I discovered that it is not on our own forgiveness any more than on our own goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. While he tells us to love our enemies, he gives us, along with the command, the love itself. That's the kicker. Anyone can talk about love and reconciliation, forgiveness and all that, but we need the love of Jesus to do it properly. And so... In this moment, she says she stretched out her hand and as she did and she shook the man's hand, she felt the love of God flow through her and she was able to forgive. But she had to take a step of faith and she had to pray and ask for God to help her. She couldn't do it on her own. Isn't that amazing? And so she went on. You know, she travelled and ministered all over the world and she lived a life of purpose, of great significance uh, and she wasn't bound up with the pain and the hurt and the bitterness that could easily have wrapped around her heart. But she was set free by the forgiveness and the love that God brought into her life. And she wrote a lot of books. The most famous one, you know, The Hiding Place, became a movie. Uh, and she touched the lives of millions of people through her story. And in spite of all that physical hardship in the camp when she was younger, she died at the ripe old age of 91 on her birthday in 1983. What a response to the heartache that life can bring, yeah? That, that, what, what great restoration God brought to her heart and what a great blessing she brought to other people because of her experience and her ability to tap into what God could do in her heart. I'll just finish with one quote. She, she wrote a lot of cute, cool things. She said this, If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. 
if you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.